Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We're getting there. It's week 14 out of our 16-week series through the Bible. We have two more after this one. We're talking about the river of life, tracing it through the Bible from where it's clear and flowing strong in the Garden of Eden to where it's clear and flowing strong again in the new heaven and the new earth at the end of the book of Revelation. In between, it's kind of in and out, up and down, a sinking river comes up sometimes in springs. And that's where we are today. Last week we saw the resurrection of Jesus as a geyser. But as we said, a geyser is a powerful thing that shoots up and is seen, but it doesn't last. It doesn't stay that way. Pentecost, which we'll be looking at a little bit more today and then celebrating fully on the Sunday of Pentecost in about a month, we could see as the big spring. But every one of us is a smaller spring. Paul uh, O'Donnell here posted on Facebook last week about finding a new little spring on his property or near his property that he, he, he didn't know that he had. And uh, he was excited about this little spring near his house. And I asked him if it was running even when the weather was dry. And because I know that some of them are intermittent, you know. But uh, he said, yeah, it runs even when the weather's dry. And so I said, well, then it's not just a spring spring. Uh, that was... Uh, I, I, yes, yes, and, and that's probably about as funny as we're going to get today. So if you need a laugh, that was your chance. Let's say our key verse together. Found in your bulletin. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Acts 1.8. When I was a boy, I remember going to church and, and hearing about the, the, you know, the various things you hear in church. And one of the phrases that I heard fairly repetitively over and over in church in various settings was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so one day I, we were coming home from church and I asked my father, you know, I have an idea about the Father, and I, I know Jesus is the Son, but what's the Holy Spirit? And my father, who had grown up in church, gone to church all his life, uh, even at one point considered the possibility of whether he was called into ministry, his answer was, I really don't know, they don't talk about it very much. And yet, if you noticed... In the readings this morning, the Holy Spirit plays a very prominent role. A 
As a matter of fact, the book of Acts in the Bible, uh, some Bibles just call it the book of Acts, some Bibles say Acts of the Apostles, but others say Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it really is the Holy Spirit moving on and in and through people to carry on the work of Jesus. On Easter evening, the same evening that Jesus rose from the dead, and then that afternoon he appeared to the apostles, as we saw that, I'm sorry, not the apostles, the two disciples, as we were, as they were uh, going to Emmaus. And by the way, let me just recap the difference between a disciple and an apostle. The apostles were the twelve that Jesus chose. Later there were other apostles, but uh, particularly in the Gospels, the apostles were the twelve that Jesus specifically appointed. The apostle means sent one. The disciples were anybody who chose to follow Jesus. Disciple means follower. So anybody could choose to follow Jesus. Anybody could be a disciple. The apostles were those that were specially commissioned and sent for a purpose. So it was the disciples. And Jesus appeared to them in an upper room. And there is no indication that it was just the twelve. But certainly all the twelve except Thomas were there. Thomas was specifically told he wasn't there. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Easter evening, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And yet, in our first reading, if you noticed, during the 40 days after his resurrection and before he went up into heaven, it says in Acts 1, 4 and 5, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Same people that had already received the Holy Spirit. We'll be coming back to that. But Jesus went up into heaven. The apostles chose Matthias to replace Judas. And then they said, okay, he told us to stay here and not go out and do anything. He gave us the Great Commission. He told us to go out into the world and make disciples of of every nation. But he also said, don't start yet. Stay here until you receive the gift, until you receive the promise, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, which was an Old Testament festival, uh, as well uh, of the first harvest, on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together. And we'll be, as I said, looking at this more on Pentecost Sunday in about a month. People were gathered together in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. They all started speaking other languages that they didn't know. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went from being a band of people who was hiding out for fear that these religious leaders who had crucified the leader of their band was going to come after them also. They went from hiding out in that fear to publicly proclaiming 
in the temple that this crucified and buried man had risen from the dead and was the Messiah and the Lord of all. The book of Acts goes on and tells how this went over. It didn't go over. They were arrested. They were persecuted. But not before, on that first Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people became Christians. 3,000 people believed and put their faith in Jesus. And the church started. The church, in one afternoon, went from 120 people to 3,000 people. What do you think we would do here if 3,000 people all of a sudden started joining us? Well, they did what they had seen Jesus do. And I'll be getting into that. That's a whole different series of sermons. But one of the things that Peter preached to the crowd, crowds had gathered because they saw the, the fire, they thought the building was on fire, they heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind, like a jet airplane, they didn't have jet airplanes so they couldn't say that, but that was the, more or less what it sounded like, it gathered a crowd and Peter started preaching and telling them, this is what was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit, there he is again, the spirit. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit. Even on my servants. Men and women alike. And they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit. Coming upon people. Being poured out upon people. Who already have the spirit within them causes them to do things they would be unable to do all by themselves. Next thing we see is an example of that. Peter and John are going to the temple to preach and they see a lame man, a beggar, who had been lame for years. People knew it. He always he had his place staked out there by the gate of the temple and that's where he begged and he called out for alms. Peter and John looked at him. He said, Peter said, look at me. And the guy looked expecting to get some money. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he did. Of course, this gathered another crowd. Peter took the opportunity to preach again. 2,000 more men and their families believed and joined the church. So now you've got 5,000 families in the space of about a week. And it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responds. They've been arrested, called before the, the court. Why are you preaching all of this stuff? Disrupting everything. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responded to the court, to the Sanhedrin. And as a result, they were released with a warning never to preach anymore about that. So what did they do? They went back, found the rest of the church, or others of the church, Not probably not all 5,000 families, but 
gathered together, had a prayer meeting, and they didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. The Bible says God responded by shaking the building where they were. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where the prayers were so powerful that the building shook? And it said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The community formed, began taking care of each other. We looked at a few weeks ago about how they shared what they had. Some of them sold property they had and shared with the, the uh, community. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be looked upon as spiritual. So they sold some property and gave part of the proceeds to the church, but claimed it was all of it. And Peter said, why have you done that? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. So it goes on the book of Acts with healings. The apostles arrested. The angels released them. They preach in the temple. Then there's a, a dispute over the distribution of food. And the apostles say, look, this is too much work for us. And it's a first appointment of lay people in the church to take on responsibilities. And one of the requirements to be one of those was that they be full of the Spirit. Acts 6.3. The book goes on, Stephen is arrested, accused of blasphemy, stoned to death. And that leads us to the second reading. Persecution starts, the believers are scattered, they preach. Interestingly, it says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It was just the folks that were scattered out that told people about Jesus, that trusted in him to the point of doing miracles. Philip was not one of the apostles. Neither was Stephen. But they were both filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as part of our, our second reading, we heard how the Holy Spirit was given to the Samaritan believers. They were already believers, but the Holy Spirit then came upon them when Peter and John laid their hands on them. The Holy Spirit leads Philip. The Ethiopian treasurer is saved. Saul is, has a miraculous conversion, becomes the Apostle Paul who wrote a good bit of the New Testament. And as part of that description, it describes him being filled with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 10, Peter heals one person, raises a young woman from the dead. I don't know that she was a young woman. She's always shown as a young woman in the pictures. Raises a woman from the dead and then visits a Roman centurion named Cornelius who's had a vision from God saying, send for Peter. He's got something to tell you. The Holy Spirit guides Peter to go there. Preaches to this Roman family and the Roman friends that he has gathered together, non-Jewish, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them with prophesying. This raised a big question because there were a lot of the Jewish people that thought that only Jews could be Christians. They understood that Jesus was the Messiah, but they thought 
Still, if you were going to follow Jesus, you had to become Jewish first. You had to become a proselyte. You had to go through all the initiation rituals and follow all the Old Testament laws and everything. And Peter was saying, no, God told me different. Paul is saying different things. Uh, the church in Antioch that had spread there began to accept Gentiles, non-Christians. The Holy Spirit calls Paul and Barnabas and they go on the first missionary journey through various cities in Turkey, preaching first in the synagogues, but when they were, when they were turned out of the synagogues, preaching to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so when they came back, there was a big council of all the church leaders. Should we allow Gentiles to become Christians without first converting to Judaism and following all the rules? And they, the letter that they wrote to the Gentiles said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to put all these requirements on them. The book of Acts goes on and talks about the second and the third uh, missionary journeys of Paul, various miracles, various Bible stories you're familiar with, uh, the miraculous escape out of the jail in, in Philippi. They visit Ephesus and it talks about finding believers there, people who had somehow heard about Jesus but had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And how they received them. It goes on with Paul being arrested, shipwrecked on his way to Rome, and uh, ends with him in house arrest in Rome, where he wrote many of his epistles. Kind of a cool story. But as I said, the one unifying theme through the whole thing is that these are things that God did in and through people empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. So there are seven things that I want to point out briefly that we learn from this. I, I put six of them in the bulletin. If you're following along, I left out number four. The first thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, Ananias, Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And one verse later, he says, you weren't lying to us, but to God. Obviously equating the Holy Spirit is God. The second thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit carries on Jesus' work in the world. As we heard Ashlyn read at the, the very beginning of the book of Acts, Luke is the author of Acts. He's also the, had previously written the Gospel of Luke. So he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So, Jesus only began the work. He was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus was guided by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've talked before 
about how it was the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the ability to do the miracles and so on that he did. Because when he left heaven to become a human being, he laid aside all the powers and privileges of being God. Our key verse, Acts 1.8, says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Being Jesus' witness is another way of saying doing his work. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit carries on Jesus' work in the world. The third thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit works in and through Christians. God doesn't just speak things into existence anymore. He did that in creation. But now he works through people. He always has, as much as possible, worked through people. The Holy Spirit works in and through Peter. Healing people, preaching to people, responding to the council. The Holy Spirit works through Philip with the preaching and the miracles. The Holy Spirit works through Paul in various other ways that are mentioned, documented in the book of Acts. And many examples that are a little outside the scope of this sermon, but down through history into today. The Holy Spirit is working in and through people. The Holy Spirit works in and through Christians. And the fourth point is that every person can be a Christian. In Acts 10, when Peter was led by the Holy Spirit to go and preach to the Romans, to the Gentiles, which was an an unheard of thing. It it would make a Jewish person ritually unclean to go into a Gentile house. But the Holy Spirit led Peter to do that. And the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, the Romans, right in the middle of Peter preaching, trying to tell them the story, and all of a sudden he doesn't even get to the punchline, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they start prophesying. And it's obvious... uh, The Bible implies speaking in tongues as part of that, but it doesn't specify it. But Peter says, look, the Holy Spirit has fallen on them just as he fell on us on the day of Pentecost. And so in 10, 34 and 35, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him And do what is right. Every person. Jewish or Gentile. Regardless of any other condition. Who is willing to accept Jesus. To follow Jesus. To admit they need Jesus. Can be a Christian. And if there's anybody here this morning. Who is not certain. That you have done that. That you have made that commitment to Jesus. To become a Christian. I'd love to talk with you about that. The fifth point is that every Christian, by definition, has the Holy Spirit. There are a number of places where the Bible says that. From the Gospel of John, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, 
Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. That's John 7, 37 to 39. If you believe, you come and the Holy Spirit comes in you and flows out of you like rivers of living water, like little springs of the river of life. Romans 8, 9 says, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But our sixth point is that every Christian can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our key verse, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Peter, in explaining what happened on the day of Pentecost, quotes the verses that I read before, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all people. And he says, this is what you're seeing. And notice something interesting here. On Easter evening, Jesus breathed on these people and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And to the same people, in Acts 1, he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the same people, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same ones who had already received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them. It's the same people at Pentecost when those promises were fulfilled. Clearly, Jesus is talking about two different things here. Having the Holy Spirit is one thing. You receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus. Your broken human spirit is reborn, made new, regenerated, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside that spirit. That's one thing. Receiving or being empowered by or being baptized in the Holy Spirit is something else. You can be a Christian believer without that. But why would anyone want to? And by the way, the recognition that these are two different experiences was one of the key insights that powered the Methodist movement from its inception and for the next 150 years when it was one of the fastest growing Christian movements in the world. For the last hundred years, we've gotten away from that emphasis and we've been in decline as a denomination. I don't think that's a coincidence. In about a month, I plan to start a new sermon series about the Holy Spirit when we finish, finish this series and a couple other things that, that need to happen in there. I've given you six points. The seventh is that every Christian can and should be carrying on Jesus' work in the world by the guidance and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Go and make disciples. 
of people of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. We, the church, are the body of Christ. And the body is what carries out the purposes of the will, the head in the world. Our second reading was an example of just plain everyday Christians. Wherever they happen to be, scattered to run from the persecution, carrying out the work of Jesus. So I leave you with this thought. Every Christian is a spring of the river of life. But a spring can get blocked up. A spring can get full of mud and full of debris to where it doesn't flow very much. But a spring can be cleaned out. And that stuff can get out of the way and the water can flow free and clear and pure. So my question this morning is, how is your spring flowing? Is there stuff that needs to be cleared out of the way? Is there stuff in your life that is obstructing the move of God? Or is it clear and free? The good news is, God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, which is the theological word for stuff that's clogging up your spring, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He not only says, that's okay that you let your spring get clogged up. I forgive you for it. But he gets in there and says, let me help you clear that out. Let's open that up. Let's get rid of that stuff. That's what repent means. Turn away from the sin. Clear out the bad stuff and turn to follow Jesus. If there's anybody here that needs to do that this morning, I'd love to talk with you. The altar rail is always open as we sing our closing hymn. God is there wherever you are to pray and talk about that if you'd rather do it in the privacy of your home. The river of life is made up from the contributions of all the little tributaries, of all the little springs coming together in churches, coming together in the different congregations making the church of a city, coming together in the churches of an area and flowing through the world. And every little spring from every believer is important. How is your spring flow? Let's say together our key verse. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses Telling people about me everywhere. Act 1 8. Our closing hymn is 333. Arise, O God. Arise, O God.
thank you for listening to this sermon, and I pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.